0: One of the great roles for coaching is to actually help people, much like an athletic coach, would train its athletes to be able to run a marathon faster, to shoot three points better in basketball or whatever it is, is to actually train our clients to get comfortable with the world as it is today and to get comfortable that disruption is everywhere. We're not going back to the way it was before. Pascal C of
1: and this is Coaches on Zoom Drinking Coffee. My guest today is a pioneer in the coaching industry. He's been helping to grow the executive coaching profession for over 30 years. He's the executive director of Seven Paths Forward and senior partner of the Goldsmith Group. I'm also proud to have him as an amazing partner and longtime friend of Coaching.com. Please welcome David Goldsmith.
0: Hi, David. Hey, Alex. So good to see you.
1: It's so good to see you. We've been talking about doing this episode for a while, so I'm glad we're
0: finally here. I always like your background. It's always such a great painting behind you. I'm jealous that I have just a plain green wall. Thank you. Yeah, this was never the plan,
1: but I rearranged some things and it turned out to actually be a good setup here. So I ended up with the painting. Yeah, I like seeing it on the screen too. So I'm glad you like it as well. Let's start where we always start up. Coaches on Zoom drinking coffee. What are we drinking today? I am drinking an espresso. Cool. Same here. Anything special about your espresso other than the fact that
0: you're in Melbourne with amazing coffee? I'm in Melbourne. The coffee is amazing. The standard of coffee here is so high. A friend from Melbourne, when he goes to the U.S., describes the coffee as poison. And he's not far off, but virtually every place you could go will have an espresso machine with people that know how to operate it. Not an automatic machine, but a a big Marzocco kind of machine everywhere. And you can just get a great coffee everywhere. And a good espresso is sort of the bottom of the standards here in Melbourne. So there's a beautiful little coffee shop just down the street from my office that's, you know, maybe 20 square meters tall, big inside. And they make a handful of drinks and have some cookies, but they care very much about the beans. They care very much about the roast. And we have long discussions about this is washed Ethiopian or this is this. But you can really taste the flavors in the espresso. So it delights me and is really enjoyable for me.
1: That's awesome. And you were not always a coffee drinker. So now you're an espresso now,
0: but this is a recent development. It's about 15 years old. It irritates my wife to no end. I guess for the first 20 years of our marriage or so, I had no interest in coffee and she did. And then all of a sudden I became very interested in coffee and she became less interested. So,
1: Well, I guess it happens. You know, this is my first time using these little espresso cup that I bought in Japan. And isn't this cool? I love it.
0: It's beautiful. Too big for a sake cup that I love. that has got eight or nine sides to it. And one of the fun things about espresso is there's so many beautiful little espresso cups and mugs that one can obtain around the place, around the world.
1: I 100% agree with that. Cool. Well, I'm sure that our listeners are excited about the coffee talk, but ready to delve deeper into you know, these wonderful career that you've had in the coaching industry. We call it an industry now, a profession, but it really wasn't when you started. So I'd love to get back to the beginning many decades ago. How did you first
0: got acquainted with coaching? Take us through that journey. It's a two-part story, but I always love telling it because it has me remember my father. So my father was in the process of dying, which is a hard way to say it, but he'd been diagnosed with an untreatable form of lung cancer and given about 90 days to live. I was visiting with him about two months into that journey. And mom had gone out to do some errands and he was kind of complaining that she wasn't doing enough for him, which I knew was not true because my mom was amazing and was doing everything for him. But as I've grown to learn, many people that are sick kind of lose perspective on what's happening. And for some reason, I was able to talk with dad about what was actually going on and help him really see what was happening. And he got an enormous amount of value out of that conversation to the point where at the end he said, I don't know what you just did. That was an extraordinary conversation. Go do that. And he said, I don't know, is that being a shrink, a therapist? I don't know, but go figure that out. How old were you? 20, in my mid-20s, late 20s. And I said, okay. Had no idea what to do with that. A month or two later, my friend Mark calls me up and he says, hey, David, we've been out to dinner a bunch and every time I go out to dinner, I have the same conversation and it never changes. And I want to hire you to be my coach. I said, great. What's that? And he said, well, we talk on the phone once a week. And I think if we did, it would keep me more accountable to building this thing that I keep talking with you about at dinner. He said, "Then I'll pay you. I said, well, I can cash checks and I can talk on the phone. I'm willing to do the experiment. <laughs> I ended up doing what I was doing with my dad unknowingly, and it was enormously successful for Mark. He and I are still friends. He's still in the business that I helped him create during that coaching many, many years ago. He went on to refer a ton of clients to me. And then my wife said, this is great that you're becoming a coach. Don't you need to get trained? I said, probably, but where would you do that? because that wasn't a known thing. And then I discovered CoachU a little bit later after that, and met Thomas Leonard, and he and I connected up. And shortly after I was running all the volunteers at his program, I was coaching him. And then shortly after that, I was running his organization. So I was off to the races in the coaching industry.
1: That's awesome. And you said it was kind of like a two-part story. Is that the first part?
0: The first part was my dad, and the second part was the conversation with Mark. Cool.
1: So it went from like an impromptu conversation that allowed you and your dad to see that perhaps there was something about what you did there that could be what you should be doing. And then actually your first client of sorts. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. So tell me about like all those years in between because i know that you were also in business so how did you end up running some business organizations i believe you're an entrepreneur so that in conjunction with you know the development of your coaching expertise
0: so i was running coachu running some other businesses unrelated to coaching on the side and my dream had been to be able to do work from anywhere on a beach and this was before laptops were available. This was before virtual work. This was be available before Zoom. But that had always been my dream. It's a good dream. Even in the 90s, started discovering one can have multiple careers. One can do multiple things. One can be engaged in lots of different things. And then I've always had a laptop since they first came out. And so I've been able to travel and do work from everywhere in the world. But I started getting really interested in building the coaching industry. So we built CoachU. We started the International Coach Federation. I literally incorporated it. We picked a bunch of original board of directors. And then a bunch of people went off and did really amazing work to build the ICF. I then went on to teach coaches in Japan. So the very first coaches in Japan are part of the Coach A organization. I had a chance to train all those folks. I got to write for the London Times, which would, would serialize coaching sessions. And people would read about them week after week to see what happened. So it became almost like a story that people could follow. And so I got involved in putting on conferences. I got involved in the business side of coaching. I ended up coaching a lot of the leaders behind the scenes in the profession to go to their profession. Ultimately, Ruth Ann Harnish and I decided that we needed more research funded in the coaching industry. And she was willing to fund that. And so we started doing a number of things around the foundation of coaching which we ultimately merged into the institute of coaching at harvard and so i've had a chance to really do some interesting things to help build and legitimize the coaching profession over the years i'm really proud of where that profession has come because 33 years ago if i said i was a coach people would say little league soccer you don't look very athletic i'd say no no no, no. coaching for humans not necessarily athletic coaching people say oh. And then I remember over time, you could eventually see that the Wall Street Journal would have a story every day that talked about coaching, whereas it never happened. So it was really fun to see the arc of coaching really grow and develop and get popularized around the world.
1: Yeah, those initial first couple decades, you saw kind of some pent up demand for a service that was poorly defined, but organizations had figured out much like Billions how it popularized coaching in the modern day I remember Gary Ranker was a friend of mine and he was doing that kind of work at a Wall Street brokerage in the 80s and 90s so kind of performance coaching development coaching yes but also coaching for legal protection kind of saying hey before we fire this person we gave them a coach and we tried to keep them so there were ways in which coaching was developing very much aligned with the way it is today and other ways where it was kind of remedial and pre-development and pre-performance so you've seen that evolution today it looks like we are entering a new era of the different stages of the evolution of coaching which is you know the blending of technology and more specifically ai which and you cannot go anywhere today without seeing something about AI. ChatGPT really kind of put that technology in the forefront of just the consumer. And there's some exciting things. There's some things people are worried about in coaching. The big topic is, you know, will AI replace coaches? But I think the most interesting topic is how are coaches going to be able to leverage AI to become better? Where do you stand in that? What are you excited about? With well, are you excited about coaching and AI? And if so, what areas are most interesting to you?
0: I've been following coaching and AI and robots and technology for many, many years, and I'm very excited about it. I think there's some really interesting possibilities. There's also some things where the robots are going to be great, and places where the robots are not going to be great. Today. If your stock in trade is you provide a lot of information or education or resources for your clients, you will quickly be eclipsed by a robot that will do it faster and better and most people with a little tiny bit of training can use Barb or ChatGPT and get a lot of great information very, very quickly. Where I've found the robots are not great today and need a lot of work, but I think they will get there is that ability to have a nuanced conversation to help people generate an insight that will help them get into action and move forward and make something happen. The robots aren't great at having continuity of conversation from session to session, haven't had enough training on coaching to understand how to do that. That being said, imagine this scenario. Imagine we had Siri or Alexa being a coach and they're starting to record every coaching conversation they've had. And many at the beginning are basic and they start getting more advanced over time. Siri can search that database in a nanosecond. Siri can start tracking which line of questions, which way of speaking, which interventions worked, which ones didn't, and could steer and pivot that conversation very very quickly. A lot of decent coaching is a series of branched questions. You can train a robot to ask a series of branched questions, and people will get some value from it. When you have a learning engine compared with branched questions and say, get better and better, use results, use data, use feedback to figure it out, that's going to be powerful. When you combine that with the voice recognition technology that is growing and is able to detect tone and voice. And be able to detect emotion and be able to pull some of that information. Out. And a lot of work is being done there. When you combine all of that together, the robots are going to become more insightful than we think. But that's three or four years from now. That's not today. What I think the interesting thing is to partner with a robot and be able to have the robot do the easy stuff. You do the hard stuff and have your client have access to you and your practice 24-7.
1: Yeah, we're thinking a lot here at coaching.com about, you know, the role of automation. We've always thought about automation in terms of process. And if you add a layer of intelligence there, it could really do a lot of things for you. I'm surprised when I use Siri today that Apple's so behind in terms of the flexibility of the things that you can do with Siri. The other day, I actually said in front of a friend to Siri, I was like, hey, Siri, call home on speakerphone. And my friend was like, what? Like you can actually command that the speakerphone is used for this call you want to make. And my friend was shocked that it was available. And I was shocked that my friend was shocked because there's so many things that you can ask ChatGPT to do that you really enabling a speakerphone for Siri shouldn't really be something that is mind blowing. But my friend's mind was blown and it really kind of made me think about how far... Behind we are with the capabilities that we already have available and some tangential fronts. Like you look at ChatGPT and you look at what Siri is. Well, give Apple two, three, four, five years. The things that we'll be able to use with that assistant are incredible. And I think there are some really interesting correlates to coaching, both for technologies that can provide coaching, but also for the coaching. I'm sorry. I'm hearing like a server. What is that? Give me a second. That is bizarre. Okay, this is hilarious. You know what it was? It was Siri calling home on speakerphone. This is hilarious. You know, I'm like, what, what was that? And it was like the end of the call where I think it got routed to something that sounded like a dial-up.
0: I mean, it almost sounded like it called a fax machine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it maybe I was, it called, so home on my phone is still my parents' home. So that is interesting. Well, that's hilarious.
0: It's interesting. I noticed something the other day. I don't know whether this is artificial intelligence or a search, but I was reading an article mm-hmm. about cool places to get bread and butter in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how crazy the food scene is. People will do an article about all the places you can get amazing bread at a restaurant. Uh-huh. And so I was typing in the restaurants into a browser because I wanted to read more about the restaurant when they were open. Mm-hmm. And I could t- type just the first two letters and it immediately suggested one of the restaurants in the article. Now, there's a million things I could have typed in that begin with "go," but it prompted something from the article. So it must have known that I was reading that article and was curious about those things. I thought that was really helpful.
1: That is helpful. And there's so many helpful things that technology can do for us. And I think what I'm excited about in coaching are those aspects of technology that will help coaches get more immediate feedback on how they're doing. To be able to keep the coach up to speed with client progress between sessions, I think the sky is really the limit in terms of how technology can help coaches. And for me, the question whether technology can replace coaching is, is less interesting because I think that when I see like the evolution of coaching, it came about at the same time that we were digitizing the world. And I think part of the digitization of the world, whether it was preventable or not, it has really push people to be a little bit more disconnected from each other. So we're ultimately so much more connected in terms of the information flow and the ability to have a video call with someone on the other side of the world. I mean, you and I are 7,000 miles apart or something like that. And we're having this instantaneous connection where you almost feel like you're in the same place. We're sharing the same drink, you know. But at the same time, technology has also, in so many ways, kind of fractured some of the essential kind of human connection. Coaching is an ultimate connector and it allows people to work with each other to develop, to increase performance, to develop self-awareness. I mean, there's so many beautiful things that come with coaching. To me, the need for humans in coaching, I don't think we can erode that. And so I'm less interested in thinking about, you know, what does the technology approach to coaching and bypassing the human looks like? And also the other thing that makes me less interested in that part of the conversation is the fact that if you extrapolate what's happening in technology today and you think about these 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, hundred years from now, the world will be different and technology will reshape industries, will reshape the way we work, will create efficiencies in production of food. I mean, once you really get these advanced AI and really just pure intelligence layer, We'll be able to do incredible things. So, every profession is going to be transformed. So, I don't want to just say, oh, will coaches be replaced by technology? Well, at some point,
0: everything probably will, you know. <laughs> there are a couple of interesting threads from what you're saying. One of the things we know from research is that humans are more disclosing to robots than other humans. Fascinating. So that'll be interesting to see, do you partner with a robot to get more disclosure, to help you get to the insight faster? Do people really want the human connection or are they just used to the human connection? So we have to figure that one out. One of the things we're experimenting with tool-wise is we're building an AI robot that can sit and watch you coach and can prompt you about how you are coaching along the way and can suggest, like, that line of questioning may not work so well, this one would be better. So we're exploring how to build that. The other one we're doing is we have taken all of the coaching demos that David Peterson has done, and we're ingesting them into a learning engine. And we are going to see if we can build a David Peterson robot coach. And we're going to see if what quality of coaching that robot provides compared to what we know David provided. And that'll be an interesting glimpse into where technology takes us. And with what we have available, can we come up with a credible coaching robot that may be somewhat close to what David was able to provide?
1: I mean, so many interesting things. From that. I mean, First of all, I love the project because David was such a masterful coach. And that level of coaching is probably the hardest to replicate through technology at this point because just the level of nuance, right? Yeah. I, I love the idea that, not the idea, but the, the fact and the finding that people tend to disclose more to robots. I mean, the history of AI is peppered with interesting stories around how we like to connect to computers. I mean, the original, I think it was Sophie, right? That. It was very much nothing like what we're used to these days in terms of AI, but it was very basic, but people would love to talk to Sophie to the extent that they really wanted, didn't want to stop talking to Sophie. So we know that humans are attracted to computers and robots. The other thing here is also privacy and security. I mean, the last 10 years we've seen just the what can happen when Companies go rampant in their use of your data. So if you're going to be disclosing your true self, although let me stop there for a moment, your true self is probably the one that's doing all the browsing and stuff. You don't even remember all the things you look for, but Google knows you probably better than you know yourself. So in this world, you know, what does confidentiality and privacy look like, right?
0: It's going to be a huge issue. And it's the biggest problem, I think, for robotic coaching at scale, particularly to, as a replacement for executive coaching. So, there's already a fairly clear set of guidelines that if you're doing coaching work in an organization, that's a confidential conversation. And almost all organizations agree that they don't get to know what's being said. There are a few that try and push that boundary and figure that out, but that's given. What we don't know is when a robot is providing that coaching, where is that data being stored? Who has access to it? And just like we have. Credit card breaches and data breaches, it's likely that a robotic system with a lot of data from a coaching session gets breached at some point in time. So that's a big problem that we don't know how to solve. And I think it's a problem that's going to slow the uptake of robot coaching in organizations, specifically for that privacy piece. It may not slow the uptake for people on more on the life coaching end of the world. In fact, Alexa and Siri have all been training us to get really comfortable talking to robots. And people do more and more of that all the time to the point where Siri comes on all of a sudden and says, sorry, I didn't understand that. And we just don't ignore it. We yell back, sorry, I wasn't talking to you. Like what just happened to me earlier. (laughs) Exactly. uh, The privacy and security is going to be an interesting thing, but I think it lives inside, as you said, the bigger how do we feel about privacy and data going forward. And as you said our relationship to technology 10 years from now, the world will be completely different. Our frame of thinking will be completely different. And I don't know that we can think about privacy and security the same way we might have 50 years ago.
1: Maybe we should start reading the latest and greatest from Ray Kurzweil, because he's one of the few, and I know David Peterson loved Ray's work. He's one of the few people that has a good amount of predictions about the future that have actually come true. It's, it That's is right. so hard in the realm of technological progress and innovation to predict what's going to happen and particularly the timeframe for which things kind of will happen within. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, the coaching world so quick, it emerged from nothingness into something. And then now in the kind of early to mid 2020s, we're kind of looking at, things change. And, you know, I've been in the technology and coaching space for more than 10 years now. And it's so interesting, the innovation curve and the acceleration of progress in these specific areas, because most people that tried to do work in technology and coaching were too early. And then you were too early and it seemed like you were at the right time in the kind of 2010 to 2015, and suddenly 2015 to 2020, you have all these digital tech companies kind of starting to pop up. And then now, in this kind of post pandemic world and fueled by the chat GPT progress, it seems like we're getting this reinvention of the use of technology in coaching that is happening too quickly. It was no one was paying too much attention, and now suddenly it seems like all of the attention is falling on that.
0: Yeah. But there is a known thing that AI or the latest technology gets a lot of attention and a lot of people doing a lot of things right away. Probably 90% of the companies being spun up today to do interesting things in AI won't exist five years from now. Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting innovation happening a lot of places. We'll have to see what takes hold and what doesn't. One of the interesting things about the early days of coaching, I remember was when we started popularizing coaching and there was a big article that came out in Newsweek many, many years ago with Thomas Leonard driving around the country in a motorhome with people. We had an influx of registrations for people wanting to become a coach because people would send in the article and say, this is what you do, this is what you do. There's finally a name for it. So there was a recognition that people were providing this already. People were already instinctively coaching they just didn't have a name for it. They didn't have a profession for it. So I think that allowed this profession to really grow because it's something that people were already doing in some way. And what people started to understand is, and it was really valuable and needed.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting and powerful point. And I think the same thing happens in organizations where there's people that are known to be developers of people and use more of a coaching style as their methodology for management. and. Those people usually are very appreciated by the people that work for them or with them because it, that's actually what my dissertation was on, kind of looking at the use of managerial coaching behaviors and how that impacts employee engagement. And every time I talk about my dissertation, it reminds me of the trauma. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm still ready to talk too much about it, but <laughs> it's only been like six, seven years. Some people are wired to have a coaching style, and it is interesting that the profession and the industry came to kind of find those people, whether typically industries are born from people having those dispositions or there being a need in the market. And then it kind of is more aligned in terms of like, okay, well, there's an industry because it addresses that. Here it was like a, a way of being and operating that then kind of created and became an industry. So kind of like a little different than how most industries develop.
0: Yes, for sure. Yeah. Why do you think that is? There's a significant cohort of people who you always knew were people who were reliable friends. And what I mean by reliable friends is you could talk with them about things in a way that helped you become better. Not all friends were, but there is a a cohort of this. My first understanding of what I'm doing was when my wife and I first got married, we would go for walks every night after work. I was building a business at the time. And we would walk around the block and I would talk. I did about 90% of the talking. She did about 10% of it. But by the end of the walk, I processed what happened during the day. I thought through decisions I'd made or where I needed to go. I had clarity about that. I've come to learn that that's a form of coaching she was providing and she was really good at it now. She chose not to become professional. But I think there's a chunk of people that have that bent, have that orientation, And when they discovered that they could profitably and valuably for other people deploy that, that's pretty exciting because you can connect and partner with someone to have them grow in a meaningful way and get paid to do it. It's kind of cool.
1: I love that story about your walks with your wife, because it really makes me think about all those friends that I have not a lot of them, you know, are coaches, but even the friends that are not coaches that you just kind of want to talk to, that you see things differently when you're talking to them. It's, that is such an interesting phenomenon because you are doing the talking. Those ideas seem to have always been there or that way of thinking, but you cannot access them necessarily without that person and then once you access them with a the person then you have access to them as well it's like that's happened to me numerous numerous times with different people and in fact my favorite clients that i've had in coaching are the people who you can tell are having that experience with you and even as a coach you find these resources that you would otherwise not find available and i'm glad you tapped into that because to me That is a replaceable, at least at this point, that you cannot tap into with AI. And there's so many things you can do with technology around coaching for performance and development. I mean, different facets, subsets of coaching, for sure. But that groove that you get into, I think it's hard to replace. Now, obviously, in many decades, technology will be, I mean, quantum computing. I mean, we have a quantum computer almost with our brains, but once you get computers that are as advanced, I can see that shifting. But for now, I'd love that you tapped into that because to me, that is the differentiator.
0: And what's interesting, remember we talked about humans more disclosing to robots? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I was on a walk with a robot, I would have had the same conversation. There's something about a warm-blooded, curious human About me walking and getting some oxygen and with somebody who's asking good questions and doing really good listening that enables me to do all the work and get clarity.
1: On the same page, yes and. I do think at some point, when you look at the evolution of existence, the evolution of everything in the world, I mean, I always think about like planet Earth, where it was just like a bunch of volcanoes going wild, and then you give it millions of years, and there's all these chemical reactions, and, you know, the biosphere completely transforms. I mean, there wasn't even a biosphere at some point in the early stages of the planet. I mean, from a place like that comes beings like ours that are created these technologically infused world and are super complex. And we have these complex cultures. I mean, it's incredible that from a place like that, something like this could come. And I kind of put that on on its heels somewhat and think about, okay, Are we not applying the right logic when we think about robots and advanced technology as not being able to access consciousness? I mean, what is it about a bunch of carbon and hydrogen that can combine in different ways to create life? I mean, it is unbelievable. So really what we're doing with technology is repurposing some of these materials in ways that you can spark intelligence and at some point the philosophical question comes you know come from silicon can you have a soul but I think at some point maybe our racism conversations may hundreds of years maybe maybe less maybe more and you see it in science fiction where humans are being deplorable with the way they, they manage machines and they interact with machines that are super highly sensitive and intelligent. So in the long term I think we could be walking with robots and feeling like a deep deep connection to the unity of the universe but we're probably very far away from now and I got lost in just like that thought because I find it fascinating. But bringing it back to planet Earth in the 2000s, what an interesting onset of what could be, right? And what an interesting conversation to have with people that are very people-oriented in an industry that has just been recognized as being one. It's just, I feel like we're walking through very interesting times in
0: just the evolution of coaching in general. Absolutely. What's interesting also is, I wonder to your example, if there was a human who somehow raised himself and just wandered around the planet on his own, what kind of conversations would they have? What kind of consciousness would they develop? What kind of insights would they develop when it's just one single human by themselves? But when there are more humans together and they're having conversations and they're learning and experimenting and discovering and figuring it out, so why couldn't machines with the right learning modality figure that out as well?
1: Humans don't do well by themselves, which is, you know, it's if we are a group species. And in fact, you can trace the evolution of humanity in terms of how we associate with each other. Then the size of like your relative kind of group and going from like small bands to little towns, to cities, to nation states. It's way easier to look at the past and try to map out where we are than looking at the future, isn't it? Yeah. I do think that there is a very important role, and I would love to talk to you about that, of coaching in just the world that we're living in today. I think there is a reason why coaching has emerged now, because we desperately need it. What are some of your thoughts around the role of coaching in helping shepherd humanity into a more prosperous state because today we have all these resources and all these capabilities but we seem to be able to lack approaches that encompass a higher level of development and consciousness to the way we are shaping our systems and the way we relate to each other what is the role of coaching in such a world
0: it's a great question and one david and i have thought a lot about and What I'm finding today, there's an analog in business to what's happening in climate change. So we're all experiencing warmer weather, bigger storms, heavier rain, more extreme weather than we ever thought before. Clearly, the climate is changing and we are being disrupted by it. Many people are still hoping that that's going to settle down and the climate will go back to where it was before. But you kind of know it's not, even though you're hoping for. I'm seeing the same level of disruption in many, many, many organizations. And I see leaders walking around hoping that, yeah, we did a bunch of layoffs this year and we reorged and we changed things. But, you know, in a month or two, we'll just settle back to business as normal as it was a year ago, five years ago, whatever. And what they're discovering is that's not happening but they're stuck hoping for something in the past. So they're spending an enormous amount of energy trying to have something happen that isn't going to happen. And I think one of the great roles for coaching is to actually help people, much like an athletic coach, would train its athletes to be able to run a marathon faster, to shoot three points better in basketball or whatever it is, is to actually train our clients to get comfortable with the world as it is today. And to get comfortable that disruption is everywhere. We're not going back to the way it was before. And how do you be productive and comfortable and effective in a disrupted world? And that t- that requires training because we haven't been trained that way up until now.
1: That's a, that's a great point. And I can see you and David Peterson talking about that. I could almost hear David's voice when you were <laughs> mentioning that, like, things are not coming back to the way. They were, and it's like hopeful thinking, right? And, and then with, with climate, you never know. Maybe next year, it's a lot more kind of the way we would want climate to be. But climate doesn't work like that. It is this underlying trend that is shifting. And you may have a year that is wonderful, but the trend is not looking right. And I think that's a great analogy and metaphor for business. And a lot of what David Peterson spent a lot of time thinking about, and you had great conversations, and I did as well, over a beautiful glass of wine, is is that the level of complexity that organizations and therefore people leading those organizations are dealing with is unprecedented. Yes. You see both the need for automation and advanced intelligence systems to be able to capture data points but also an underlying increased level of humanity and understanding to make sense of the interpretation of those data points. And to me, that is AI and coaching converging in interesting ways. Not how AI will help transform the coaching profession, but the impact of coaching in a world where technology is becoming more prevalent.
0: Yes. And the disruption continues and we're just not used to it will someday look back and say oh the world changed and i had to rapidly change to get caught up with it but the world has changed politics are changed in many many countries economic systems are changing all of that is changing at a scale that we're just not used to and one of the best uses for a coach is to really help you train yourself to become effective given all this change at scale
1: Scale. So interesting. So interesting where we are in the world today. And, you know, I'm, I've enjoyed this conversation. It's always nice to get a little bit deeper and kind of talk about coaching, talk about development, talk about technology, how they're all converging. One of the things that I find most problematic with our world today is just the acceleration and how quickly things happen. Most humans, 99.999% of humans that have ever lived, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but pretty close to accurate. Most of them have lived lives where change happened over thousands of years, hundreds of years, decades, and now change happens. seems like we're one tweet away from like complete world-changing news. How can coaches adapt to clients that need solutions and need solutions fast? What should coaches be aware of in a world that acceleration is speeding up. To
0: your point about acceleration, Apple just introduced the 15th generation of iPhone. hmm Which means that the iPhone is about 15 years old because they seem to generate release a new generation of it every year. If you think about what the first iPhone does compared to what this one can do, it's mind-blowing in terms of how much change just that phone will enable. But to your point, what clients need now is more effective solutions more quickly. So if you're used to delivering your coaching in 60-minute or 75-minute chunks, can you do it in 15- or 30-minute chunks just as effectively? People's schedules are fuller. They have less and less time. So people need you to be more effective, to get more done in less time, to be able to provide more just-in-time coaching with more precision and more agility in that moment. And I think folks that are used to, I coach in an hour, it takes this long, and it kind of goes however, they're going to get left behind because people just don't have the time. You've got to be more effective, and you've got to be more timely. Yeah, there's some fluidity to the way coaching is thought up
1: today. More on demand. To me, the challenge there is there are some topics that are on demand that are maybe perhaps more performance driven, or there's an event that you know you want to talk to your coach about. And then development, sometimes you need to delve a little bit deeper. So I think part of the mastery of a coach is to think about their offerings and how to be flexible for the client. And I'm starting to see some coaches really be a lot more thoughtful around The modality, like we can't say, oh, we're going to have two 16-minute sessions per month. You need to be more fluid, but also you can also not pander to that model because it may not be good from a business perspective. So what are some of the latest and greatest from your perspective in terms of embedding some of these flexibilities so that, like David Peterson used to say, you know, sometimes in 15, 20 minutes, you hit that high point of the session and it's time for the client to go back to work. But we're not wired like that. Oh, the client's paying for an hour.
0: So how
1: do we shift away from that mindset into something more fluid?
0: So I think it starts with creating a fundamental value proposition for a client. You want to work on these things. We're going to do whatever time it takes across this month, three months, six months, whatever time scale to support you in getting there. So starting out with a value mindset that's not hourly rate driven is the first place. The second thing is being available for a variety of modalities. If you look at my calendar, I have a number of 15-minute coaching sessions this week. I have some half-hour ones. I have some two-hour ones. It depends on what the client is working on and being fluid and flexible for what does this client need at this cycle, at this time in their work that we're doing together. The second thing goes to your development and performance, those can actually be worked at the same time, but many people don't do that. So what we frequently see happens is a client says, I want to work with you to get promoted. And then they show up at a coaching session. I've got this emergency. And then the next month they come back with another emergency and the next month. And all of a sudden you're at the end of the engagement and you've solved eight emergencies with the client, but they haven't done any of the work to get promoted. And oftentimes those clients are disappointed. Hey, I thought we were working together to get promoted. What a coach has to be doing is helping the client solve those emergencies in the context of how is this going to get you promoted. And you've got to be able to bring the development needs and the daily performance needs and marry them together in every coaching conversation. So development has to be happening all the time. It can't just be performance management.
1: Great points. And we need to learn how to embed that in our in our practice as coaches. And I I think it's it's an ongoing development for coaches to really be able to map out their offerings to meet the clients where they need to be. And I love that distinction around not making the distinction between performance and development because they need to be one and the same. And I think those are some of the things that come up with coaches that are more advanced in their careers where, you know, there's this delicate art of Framing your offering, being clear, set clear expectations, and also be mindful as to when you're having performance conversations, making sure that you embed like that development component, having both a short term and a long-term orientation. Like I love things that are paradoxical and it's like, well, you know, you, you have to place attention to both. I just love that about coaching. It's so complex when you think about like just the highest level of coaching, not only in terms of the actual coaching practice. But even the way you frame your offerings, I mean, we can talk for hours and hours around these topics. So, you know, for today, David, we're at the top of the hour for our podcast, but looking forward to having you again when we're doing the second round of guests coming back to to the podcast, which I think we'll start doing at some point in the next year so we can continue the conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: It's been a treat to be here, and I'm looking forward to uh, having another update on uh, coaching and robots in the future. Coaching and robots. Yeah, no, it'll be one
1: day, many years in the future, someone will listen to this and be like, oh, they were so far off. (laughs) They didn't get it at all. They were just wrong. (laughs) There'll be a robot listening to these saying, oh. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so
0: much, Alex.